0: Alright, so we are all here today to talk about, listen to, uh, readings from Taking God Seriously, Vital Things We Need to Know by J. L. Packer. It's a great book, I know some of you, fabulous, we're, fabulous book, uh, many people have read it, some of you have not, even if you have not read it, there is, it's not time limited, you can read it this week. <laughs> that's right. You can read it this week and ask more questions next week. When did you make the book? Huh. We'll say that for the question time, um, because I don't know. But I'm here just to introduce him and to, to, to thank him for coming to these, what we now call the Fireside Chats with Dr. Packer, which I absolutely love. We are so blessed to have him here today, so please join me in welcoming him.
1: Thank you for your welcome. Uh, yes... <laughs> She leaves, perhaps she's wise. <laughs> oh well, <coughs> never mind. <laughs> um, Alexandra, as uh, you all of you have spotted, is a great pusher. And uh, she has pushed me into uh, doing this talk this morning, and she will doubtless push me again, unless, of course. I leave this world first. (laughs) We shall see. (coughs) Um, But seriously, um, I, I am glad to be asked to speak about this book because what's in the book is of great importance to me. And as I go through life, I would much rather spend my talking time dealing with matters of great importance than in simple gossip or whatever else uh, on that level. So, let me say right at the outset that um, I'm going to begin by zeroing in on that word seriously and asking you to consider what's involved in taking anything or anybody seriously. Um, I don't think that it's language that we use very often of other people, and that perhaps is because in this day and age a lot of people exist without being serious, really serious, about anything. So they have no use for the word. That is my feeling, honestly, as uh, a Christian, minister, someone who moves around hoping to to persuade folk to bow before the Lord Jesus in the way that he himself taught me to do. As I think as I think I can I have to describe it, um, something like uh, uh, seven, seventy odd years ago what it mean, I ask, to take anybody seriously? I don't think it's a difficult question to answer once one faces it um, a serious person, a person who has a right to be taken seriously, is someone whose um, word you can trust because they mean what they say, and someone who will perform what they promise. And that's where we are, I believe, with our God, with our Saviour though it's not always where we are with each other, let's face it frankly. So, if one asks about taking people seriously, well, it's good, I think, to begin with the question, well, what does it mean for me, what would it mean for me to take myself seriously? And in what I've just said, I believe I've given the true answer to that question. Um, So let me say straight out I try to take myself seriously and I hope you do. I intend to go on taking myself seriously as seriously as I can and I hope that you will also. (coughs) And I would like to see a wave of concern for seriousness invading our society, invading society all over the globe, and producing a generation in which everybody meant what they said and everybody laboured through life to do what they've committed themselves to. A world, in other words, in which taking oneself and others seriously is from one standpoint the name of the game. Now <clears throat> against that background which I'm, for which I make no apology, indeed I hope you share it, frankly, um, I raise and will answer the question about this book. Where did it come from? Taking God seriously is its title. Where did that come from? And what is the book written to do? Uh, By the way, let me pause over that last question and say, um, real authors most of the time anyway, write not so much to express themselves as to do things in the form of persuasion uh, to other people. (coughs) Uh, You write stuff because you believe that this stuff that you write is important, and that uh, it makes a difference for good to the life of the people to whom it's directed. And if you don't write with that serious purpose in mind, well, for clarity's sake, I would say, let us call you a journalist and keep the word writer or author For people who are serious in the manner described. Uh, I hope I don't um, poke anybody in the metaphorical eye by saying that. (laughs) I mean, we we, all of us, from time to time, are asked to write utility paragraphs about this, that, and the other, and sometimes utility pages. But... um, (laughs) I'm not talking about that kind of writing, I'm talking about the kind of writing which shows that the writer himself is serious and is writing seriously about serious matters. Okay, well, (coughs) that's the frame of reference, that's the wavelength, if you like, on which this book is pitched. Um... The human facts about its origin are simple. A few years ago, as all of you will remember, I'm sure, the Diocese of New Westminster split because of the pressure imposed um, indirectly but uh, potently by the last bishop, Bishop Michael Ingham, who was pushing through in Synod um, a measure which would uh, <coughs> distinct the distinction between the two genders as irrelevant for marriage. I mean, uh, same-sex marriage was just as legitimate, said he, and just as good every way as, um, well, how can I say it? two-sex marriages, and uh, the Synod, I think it's fair to say, appreciated that bringing this measure back for the third time, after twice the Synod had rejected it, showed that the bishop was very anxious that it be passed, and um, he had made no secret of the fact that this was part of his understanding of what Christian leadership involved. Uh, You abolished, that is, as soon as you could, the irrelevant rejection um, of uh, same-sex marriage uh, as being, not uh, indeed, part of a true Christian heritage, but as an eccentricity of a culture which had developed under the influence of historic Christianity and had um, picked up this idea inappropriately, but believing it to be part of Christianity and it was time to make the adjustment. Well, as I said, uh, this is what he was concerned to do. We we, um, Some of us anyway, about 100 of us actually, who were members of the Synod of this Diocese, we saw it coming, we made our plans, and we walked out of the Synod uh, to show the depth of our disagreement, um, and to show that the disagreement uh, went so far as to make it impossible for us to work together. and uh, I don't think the bishop had expected that. He didn't look as if he had. <laughs> but, uh, yes, we walked out, and that was the beginning of ANIC, of which we, you know, we, are, we and St. John's are part now, and the beginning, too, of outright separation in North America over this issue which has resulted in the formation of ACNA, the Anglican Communion in North America, which, uh, in case you didn't know, is being blessed and is flourishing most impressively, particularly south of the border. Uh, Yes, Canadians are sometimes slow And the leads are given from south of the border, but we ought not to reject them when they are leads that express truth. And this, it seems to me, is something that, uh, little as we like it, was made inescapable for us by the providence of God. And now we are able to, well, we are able to say, we are bound to say, look... We believed that we were called to take God seriously. And in scripture, there's no question that God is serious about his rejection of same-sex partnerships. When he created the two sexes, the two genders, It was for the purpose of procreation and the development of the race. That is still what he seeks. Uh, A man and a woman joining together and as a result children are born and so you have a community, a population and the whole pattern of family life which is a universal, global fact, and has been so ever since Christianity began. Indeed, since in many cases, since before Christianity began. All right, well, this is God being serious about his purpose for the development and continuation of the human race. And we are serious if we take God's purpose seriously. And when this uh, split in the diocese and in other dioceses too, following what had happened here in New Westminster, uh, when when this had taken place, well, the issue came out into the open, and we had to say, and we did say right from the beginning. And this, I I, I specify this because this was a bit that really hurt, you know. Um, uh, We who had uh, declined to continue with the Synod and the churches we represented, we declined also to continue with paying our diocesan dues. (laughs) On the ground, which we, being serious Christians, as we sought to be, the ground we could not escape, namely that you cannot glorify God by subsidizing sin. And I won't say any more about that, but I think you can see the thrust of that phrase. Well, all right. And um, so we went on. Well, now, we looked around, and uh, Annick, north of the border, here in Canada, and Acna, south of the border, um, we recognised that uh, our people, including the evangelical people, that is, the people who said they were evangelicals when asked what sort of Anglicans they were, um, (coughs) we all said that... uh, We were, in fact, um, Anglicans seeking to be scriptural, seeking to be historic, that is, loyal to the heritage, uh, liturgical in the Anglican sense, that is, faithful to the prayer book. We were, in other words, what the world calls the conservatives, Um, facing something which was a deviation. All right. One of the things that was started almost at once after uh, this division had become clear was the production of a series of what you could only call tracts. I hope that that word doesn't carry too many negative overtones for you, um, tracts, small um, small books, booklets, you might call them, dealing in a basic way with the basic truths out of which basic Christianity, Christianity that took itself seriously, um, was constructed, always had been constructed, and as far as we were concerned... Was going to go on being constructed um, in the future, whatever the, li- um, the the liberal deviationists might say or do. So, there was very soon um, a list of some twenty such booklets on basic Christian things. Then the idea arose. Could we turn at least um, the key uh, items in that list of tracts into a book? And there was a publisher very ready to do that, and to cut the long story short, that was where the book, uh, taking God seriously, came from. Yes, I am the nominal author, but a lot of the material came from people um, who were seeking, uh, as best best they could, to put together an understanding of uh, spiritual realities that had been called in question by this split. And so our book... Here at St. John's for this session, first Sunday in Lent, um, is uh, nominally a packer book, and I don't mind you thinking of it that way, why should I? But,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it, um, it is an attempt to speak representatively for the folk who, north and south of the border, have said, we cannot in conscience deviate the way that these folk are asking us to do. And you've, well, you've had the book recommended to you and you see now what um, its title means. The book is trying to take God seriously in his revelation. And that, of course is a standard Christian thing to do, and that's what Christians have been seeking to do ever since Christianity began. (laughs) Whatever liberal theologians and other modern deviationists may say, there is no split that we can recognize, no split that's there to be recognized between our historic faith in Jesus as it's been passed down in the fellowship, and the truth about Jesus as it's expressed in Holy Scripture. Each supports the other. And uh, it's to maintain that togetherness that um, the action I've described has been taken, and the book that we're working with um, has been written. And if now you ask, well, all right, Packer, what were you trying to do um, in terms of the subject matter as you wrote this book? And the answer is, first of all, I was trying to make clear the basic things in basic Christianity. Uh, If I were rewriting it, I would probably insert, well, I would certainly insert uh, one or maybe two chapters on God himself. One of them would certainly be on the Trinity, that God is three persons who are as truly one God as they are three persons, and uh, who always act together. You never have Father or Son or Spirit operating without the other two even if um, in particular passages and all the way through the Old Testament the plurality of this unity is not highlighted Uh, and then the second but the the, the truth of the Trinity it's basic to everything that's said about God's saving work and uh, So it's a truth that Christians must regard as fundamental to their own faith. Then the second thing I would write about is uh, the notion of God as the embodiment of all truth, goodness, and, uh, shall shall I say, positive standards as distinct from being the name for any sort of sense of shivers down the spine that you may feel as you look at sunsets over, over the water here in Vancouver or um, as you confront anything else in the created order that really does strike awe and um, amazement and joy into your soul. Uh, People who are not Christians do have that experience, they have it at a very deep level, some of them, and um, a great deal of the um, poetry and prose of uh, this last few hundred years is dealing with that sense of God, which is uh, sometimes expressed biblically and more often is not. Because the standards aren't there. Well, that would be my second chapter on God, you see, expressing the standards which God reveals as belonging to Himself, the Himself who is themselves, the Himself who is themselves, who revealed Himself, stroke, themselves, themselves in the Bible. And, um, well, I think, I think that the book is deficient, really, because it doesn't give a couple of chapters to expounding the truth about God in that way. Pause. You've heard me speak so far, and I hope that it's all hung together. This is a point at which I want to say, are you with me? Have you any queries now about things that I've been saying? Yeah, John. How
2: come the diocese disagreed with your attitude so much? Because it sounds fine to me. (laughs) 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 Well,
1: well, um, I can't answer that question properly without answering it at length. And if (laughs) I... If, if I if I tried even to answer it at length, well, it would mess up the rest of the talk because there would be, there wouldn't be time to give it. So um, if you don't mind, John, uh, I will simply say, well, all the dioceses, without exception, started on what I called, and will call again, a conservative base. That is, they started as expressions of Communal loyalty to Bible standards, Bible truth, Bible faith, Bible gospel, um, and uh, well, one of the one of the things that those of us who have found themselves obliged to split off from mainstream dioceses are trying to do is to persuade those mainstream dioceses to return into the way of righteousness which at present they're not doing and one doesn't know what the future will be but that's where we are and um, if you think that what I'm saying sounds fine, well you are very kind, thank you John and now let's get on Um, in this book this book, which is short of the two chapters on God, but otherwise I think covers the waterfront, the, <coughs> the waterfront, of basic, biblical Christianity, fairly well, um, and fairly clearly. I hope it was for clarity more than anything else that um, I, I wrote and shaped the chapters the way I did. Um, <coughs> This material is intended to give a sort of bird's-eye view of the number of, well, no, no, I won't say it that way, rather of the the variety of uh, material which makes up historic Christianity and without which historic Christianity is a bit of a ruin. It may not be such a ruin as to fall completely apart, but it's enough of a ruin not to have a gospel with a sharp point that's capable of saving souls. Well, what are the realities that must be there uh, in order to achieve that kind of forcefulness for the gospel, the one true gospel, which we're trying to maintain. I'm going to suggest to you that there are six items. I'm not able to expound all six of them, but I'm. I hope that what I say will indicate what has to be there. Otherwise, there's a hole. Um, a hole where there ought to be a where there ought to be building. A hole where there ought to be solidity, Um, in bricks-and-mortar terms uh, where there ought to be walls and limits set and areas marked off. In other words, uh, areas where truth and falsehood are realities and the truth is identified from Scripture and uh, kept together as a whole and not, not allowed to be diminished through the development of holes, spelt the other way, H-O-L-E-S, uh, that is gaps, gaps in truths, which according to the, the, the Bible um, ought to be there or you can't see the whole picture. But what are these items? Well, I'll take them in order. I'm using my time, oh well, I've got a little more time in hand than I thought I had. I was going to say I'm using my time, I think, prodigally, but um, no, we're we're more or less as, as I planned it. So I shan't need to leave out any of what I've planned to say about these six realities which need to be there, and which have a, each of which has a chapter to itself in this book, um, Taking God Seriously. Uh, first of all, there is the Bible itself, and I am one of those, I make no apology for it, who holds to a, the doctrine that the Bible is truly the Word of God in every sense of that phrase. It is what God has said, and every time we read Scripture or hear Scripture read, the thought should be in our mind, this came ultimately from God, using maybe sources, that um, were already present in the world, but given the divine stamp because of what he prompted the human writers to do with them. The Bible is as truly human writing as it is divine writing, but it's as truly divine writing as it is human writing. And we need to remember that always. And to learn to live as our spiritual ancestors, we're always laboring to learn to live according to the scriptures. Much more could be said about that, and maybe, we'll see, if, see how the time works out, maybe some of it can be said today. Um, I will only say one thing more under this heading, and that is, so we should understand that whenever we see any part of the Bible in print, or whenever we hear any part of the Bible read, well, God is actually speaking in and through what's been written and what's being said. This is the word of God here and now, just as much as it was the word of God when God prompted its human writer first to put it together. And if one's understanding of Scripture doesn't embrace both those emphases, well, again, there's a hole in it. And a bit of wreckage at a point where solid building is called for, and indeed where the rest of the structure is being undermined by the absence of this particular bit of building which is falling apart i would like to say more and you probably are aware that i've written a good deal more about scripture and its authority its nature and its uh, and its uh, emphasis and its uh, dominant relation, uh, the, the relation, that is, that it should have, to the Church and all the Church's members, but can't say more about it now. We can come back to it. Uh, however, uh, for the Bible to be all that God means it to be, yes, it must be there in its fullness. And then, second, um, doctrine must be there. What do you mean by doctrine, you ask? Well, doctrine actually is a Latin word, doctrina, and it means truth for teaching. Um, The teaching context is always part of the word's meaning. It isn't just private belief. It's belief which one seeks to share because one believes that it's true. And the Church has a history of doctrine and at the centre of that history are affirmations about God and, and human sin and salvation by grace which they come out of Directly, they come directly out of Scripture, and Scripture itself tells us that these things are not negotiable. These things are fundamental to reality. Doctrine is uh, a declaration of reality when it presents truths about God, as it does, and the truths are presented for belief and obedience. A lot of people have still, I think, as in my youth, have Bibles on their shelves which they never open. And that's bad news. If your Bible is never opened, you never get to the doctrine. And if you never get to the doctrine, you are not in a position to get to a solid faith yourself as an individual Christian and servant of God. Doctrine therefore is Bible truth set up for teaching and uh, all healthy forms of Christian faith right from the start have been clear, strong and full in doctrine Christianity from the very start has been proclaimed as a doctrine this is a body of integrated truth it all hangs together and this is what we're seeking to persuade everybody that we should be embracing and living by Uh, Okay, so I have one chapter on the Bible what it is and one chapter on doctrine, um, teaching and what the teaching is for. And then um, <coughs> I go on to say, third reality, uh, scrip- um, what must be maintained when you talk about the Bible, what must be regarded as uh, integral to Biblical doctrine—it's like a like a tapestry woven, and this is one strand in the tapestry, distinct from just saying truth. Uh, so, sorry, just saying. But um, the Bible is uh, given. The do- doctrine is given. Um, a helper is given. This is something which many who call themselves Christians don't say enough about, namely, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who at the prompting of the Father and the Son gave the Bible in the first instance, and who now, in the mind and in the heart of Bible readers who are open to this, interprets the Bible, that is, shows the reader how all this applies to them you ha again, you haven't said enough until you talk about the helper as the third reality given by God um for uh, by God so that you may take him seriously, and that is as I said, the reality of the Holy Spirit giving understanding of what it's all about giving expression to its expositors, its teachers, uh, and all those who seek to put Bible teaching together and apply it. Um, God gives the Spirit to those who are willing to receive the Spirit and to ask that the God who gave Scripture will, through the Spirit, show them its meaning and teach them, in due course, to pass on that application to those to whom they witness. Well, as I said, that seems to me to be integral to the building that uh, God is putting together by all that he has done to to lead us to take him seriously. Um, Again, I would like to say far more about it than I'm able to say here. Uh, Here, I have to stop short, just saying, now, when I talk about taking God seriously, I'm referring to taking the Bible seriously, taking the Church's historic doctrine based on the Bible seriously, and taking the Divine Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Interpreter, seriously, and opening oneself to his ministry and again I'd like to spend time talking about that but for the moment we must move on Uh, let me only say at this point then that uh, if there isn't a positive stress on the Holy Spirit as the enlightener of those who otherwise wouldn't be able to see what the Bible means and that's where the truth of sin comes in um well, uh, one one wouldn't have them. Would say one wouldn't have the whole story. God wouldn't be serious about taking himself seriously if he stopped short at that point. Then fourth reality, which runs all the way through the through the Bible, as a line of thought and um, I shall I say it a concept which grows and develops as the uh, bible story unfolds god has given the truth of the kingdom and set himself in the course of uh, the, in the course of what's in uh, in the course of what's in scripture to teach us that the world the created order of things is both the kingdom of God for thine is the kingdom with the power and the glory uh, it's the kingdom of God right from the word go and in every respect in other words there's nothing that happens in this cosmos apart from divine control and <coughs> the, the, um, at the, um, at the at the same time Uh, The kingdom is a goal, an unrealized goal, for which the Lord Jesus has become uh, the mediator and the focus, the, not such, well, uh, from one standpoint, the challenger and the donor, both, And you got both those lines of thought about the kingdom parallel in Scripture. This is God's kingdom, and it isn't because Satan at the moment controls so much. And God, through Christ, is going to end that someday. But already the world is the kingdom because God is overruling what Satan gets up to, and uh, there's no question who is finally in charge. If Satan thinks he's finally in charge, he's fooling himself. Um, Well, the the, (laughs) the thought has been around, but it isn't a Christian thought, it isn't a true thought, and it isn't a thought that ought to bother us. Okay, then, <clears throat> what have we got? There must be focus on the Bible, on doctrine, on the divine helper who gives us, who enables us to understand the Bible and the doctrine and apply it. There has to be, a, the, uh, well, there has to be, there is, in fact, the kingdom in both these senses, um... God actually dominant, and God seeking that his will be done in every part of the disordered cosmos in which at present it isn't being done. And that leads us to a fourth reality, which is there in scripture, there in historic Christianity, There in the prayer book, but not always there in our hearts, and that is the reality of repentance, of which the basic dimension is that our lives are given, I mean we give them, to the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, Quite precisely, we give them to the Son, through Christ we give them to the Father, and the Holy Spirit enables us in doing that. So that repentance involves the whole Trinity. And repentance means turning from self, which will always point us more or less in the wrong direction, to God to his word, to his revealed will, to his purpose, and uh, accepting that there's a contrast there and that you cannot please God by pleasing yourself. And I don't think I need expound the doctrine of repentance further than that. We hear a good deal about repentance here at St. John's and it's a healthy thing for us that we do. But uh, I make a point of it because while there's never been a time in history when Christianity hasn't been referred to as the faith, there never yet has been a time in history when Christianity has been referred to as the repentance. Rather, the theme of repentance has been sidelined. Sidelined because... I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, it isn't that Christianity um, has been tried and found wanting, it's that Christianity has been inspected, found difficulty, sorry, found difficult, and not tried at all. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a way of saying that uh, on the way to repentance, people stop. Think about what repentance is going to involve in terms of a change of life, and then backpedal. (laughs) And the world, I think, and I believe God thinks, because of the things Scripture says, um, the world today is very much in a backpedaling um, mode uh, in terms of its attitude to Christianity. Uh, As an idea, yes, Christianity has lots of interest and lots of potential. But as a program, Christianity means repentance, change of life at just about every point, simply because we, by nature, from birth on, without thinking, because this is so natural to us, uh, we are self-centered. And we are seeking to exploit everything in the created order um, in the interests of uh, our own gratification and pleasure. Well, that's that's the story about um, repentance, as it seems to me, according to the scriptures. And I put it in my notes in terms of God giving us a mirror for use in uh, seeing ourselves and seeing where we need to change, which is what um, mirrors are regularly used for, as we all of us know. You look in the mirror to see what in your appearance needs to be changed. Uh, <laughs> And so mother says to child, to son or daughter, "Look in the mirror and do your hair," <laughs> or, um, well, there are a number of things that will be said in, that begin with "Look in the mirror and make a change." <laughs> yes, and see, the mirror is the the first meaning. Of a great deal that we're taught in scripture about human nature. Human nature is twisted out of shape. Human nature needs a fundamental change. You, uh, you will understand the change if you learn to be a disciple of Christ rather than a self-server and a self-pleaser and that's something that you must do or else once again you're in the position of a person living in a in a building that's wrecked building where things that ought to be basic to the stability of the whole have simply gone to seed gone to pot fallen in or whatever whatever one's going to say and in pursuing the wrecked house picture. And that means that the parts, the rest of the house, the parts of the house that haven't suffered yet, are going to suffer soon. Okay, God gives us a mirror and the mirror is for use. And if we don't learn to say Christianity is as truly the repentance as it is the faith. Well, however good our intentions, our purpose of strengthening the fellowship, the church, the the, the, the witness, the faith on earth, that purpose is going to be thwarted because something integral to, to it is missing. All right, well, say so again, if God takes himself seriously. He is serious about this, whether we are or not. And we've perhaps got to learn to be more serious about it than we've been thus far. And then finally, God has given us signs. We know what signs are for. Uh, The roads these days everywhere are full of signs. The signs tell you where, which way to go. If, well, according to what you want, they are sign posts. They are sign warnings. Don't go this way. Don't do that. Uh, or whatever. Um, but they are signs, and um, God has given us signs. And they are baptism and the Lord's Supper, the two rites, the two routines of devotion that we call sacraments. How am I doing for time? Well, just about scraping home. Um, Okay, I I won't say anything more then about the sacraments, although I try in the chapters in this book to say... um, Clearly, I hope uh, the basic things that need to be said about baptism and the supper. I hope so. I tried. I am going to. I'm going to round it all off now. All that I've been saying by just summarising like this. Um, God, who takes Himself seriously is calling on us to take ourselves just as seriously and to focus on the things that he says you must take seriously if you're going to live in tune with me and the things, which you, things relating to your relationship with me which you cannot get right unless you're prepared to take yourself seriously in this way. And the six things that you've got to take seriously are the Bible and its authority, doctrine and its its shape, shall I say, its elements, its ingredients, (coughs) the ministry of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, guiding us into an understanding of Scripture and how it applies. A mirror which uh, tells us that Scripture is to be applied in order to reorder disordered lives, which all of us start with. And uh, the kingdom, which is always to be the goal, as we seek to live and act for the glory of God. Uh, And uh, the kingdom, when I say the kingdom, remember that there are the two levels. The the sovereignty of God, whose will is always done. That's his will of events. And the, uh, the conflict between God and uh, the forces of evil the conflict that keeps the will of God in terms of command this is a different sense of the word will but uh, that keeps God's word of command from being done that's evil, that has to be challenged, that has to be overcome and that's the uh, the <clears throat> the other dimension of the kingdom for which we must always be working, and then final item in the series, the signs telling you which way to go and which way not to go, and you can get uh, Packer's understanding of a lead in all these matters in this book. And having said that, um, I would just like to say, and now I, I I'm, I'm move to a bit of anecdotage. It uh, has been put to me that people like ant packers <coughs> anecdotage, and they want more of it. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure that um, that I resonate entirely with that. Um, but anyway, um, here is a bit of Packer's anecdotage. Uh, I wonder if you know the name of Elizabeth Elliot. Yes. Those of us who are older will know it for sure. If she were alive today, she'd be my age. And early in life, her husband was martyred by, um, tri- by a tribe, which they were trying to evangelize, martyred in a way which made a great impact on the Christian world, but which left Elizabeth high and dry, of course, with with one child. Um, I was privileged to know Elizabeth. She was a very remarkable lady with uh, very deep wisdom and very deep humility and very strong faith. Well... She had a favourite hymn, and I'm finishing this way because it is my, well, one of my favourite hymns also. It's a 19th century composition, and for some reason, which I've never been able to understand, a lot of our hymn books leave it out. I think it's precious, and I would like to finish this talk by reciting it to you, some of you will know it for sure, and some of you won't know it for sure. Well, um, I think that the sentiment, which um, goes back, as uh, you will realize, to Psalm 23, uh, its, its sentiment is precious, and um, I, for one, like to use it devotionally And perhaps uh, when you've heard it, you will feel the same. And if you allow yourself to use it devotionally, well, you will end up, I think, taking God seriously in the manner that uh, I've tried to describe in this last hour. Well, no, I'm overrunning, so here I go quickly. In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart will fear. For safe is such confiding, and nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me, so can I be dismayed? Implication, of course, is no. Wherever he will guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever waketh, his sight is never dim. He knows the way he taketh, and I will walk with him. Green pastures are before me, which yet I have not seen. Bright skies will soon be o'er all, all me, where the dark clouds have been. My hope I cannot measure. My path to life is free. My Saviour has my treasure, and he will walk with me. I think that's beautiful, I think that's moving, and I think that's the real thing when a Christian grasps that God is taking himself seriously in his approach to, well, to you and to me. And this is how seriously we must take our response to God and there, brothers and sisters I'd like to leave you Uh, you've heard me explain what lay behind this book if you've got questions about the contents of the book, well the first thing to do in in this question time, we've got a quarter of an hour is to to produce them let me speak to them and um, well then anything, anything else which you would like to say, please say on John, you, yeah, wait a minute. You had it. Yeah, sure. I was yeah. Before, yes.
3: Um, speaking of um, same sex
1: unions uh, among pirates, uh, mate as they called it, was a frequent occurrence in a centuries old tradition. So, would you say that the diocese, in a sense, pirated their ethic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, well, well. Uh, we, in these, uh, these 21st century days, we are wonderful at our capacity for, um, how shall I say it, uh, for, for instating the uh, eccentricity, um, glorifying the minority, highlighting the odd and um, uh, making, uh, requiring the standard to take the back seat while the particular concerns and hurts of those who are not standard are attended to. I'm not saying that there is no reason for that attitude, Um, in its positive thrust, but I am saying that in its negative thrust, it's an attitude which takes us straight away off the track because that which ought to be our prime concern immediately becomes a secondary interest and that which at best has the status of a secondary concern uh, becomes primary um, that's all I'm prepared to say about it. I'm not saying you're wrong, you're not wrong. But um, I am saying that our vision of such things, I believe, is systematically distorted. And that's one of the things that the history books of the 22nd century, if, we, if the world lasts that long, will be saying loud and clear about the 21st century.
0: So I'm just going to order the questions because I notice there's a, a oh, plethora. We've got Colleen, and then Sheila, and then Dan, and then Sam. Okay.
1: You take charge from now on. Uh, <laughs> <time>. <laughs> okay. Dr. Packer, thank
2: yes. you so much for this book, which I was at um, Bill Reimer's special yesterday at Regent College, and Harvey came up to me and said, so, Dr. Packer's talking about the book tomorrow. And i then been panicked because I thought I had another week. But I ran home and read the last 20 pages. And so it was fresh in my head this morning at the 7.30 service. And I don't think I've ever experienced Eucharist like that because of you. So I thank you, It was, it's it's absolutely extraordinary to have read about repentance, about the mirror. And then have read about um, the importance of baptism. And then read about the importance of the Lord's Supper. And then the next morning, we're going through it. Uh, I, oh, okay. I'm, you know, and I I never thought it really just went through the motions, but I think there was a bit of that going on. And so, um, thank you for this. It's it, it's just so practical. This this book is so practical. Thank you very very much for it, because it takes complex <laughs> theological concepts and gives us application gives us the ability to apply it in our walk. So thank you very very much.
0: Yes. Thank you for this, uh, Dr. Packer, and I just want a comment about the same-sex union stuff, because I really would like to see this put to rest. It was the battlefield. It was not the war. The war was about the authenticity of scripture related to how God wants us to live and you have made that nice and clear for us. And I think the diocese had kind of forgotten what the word of God was about. Um, and and it just is a shame that there was so much focus by the press and others on this one issue when really the issue was much bigger than that. Okay.
3: Thanks.
1: Thank you, yes.
0: Okay and Dan or did you No. Dan?
1: Um,
2: Dr. Packer, you had mentioned in taking the Bible seriously in authority that you have written uh, other things on this. Could you share with us what you would recommend from what you've written on that subject of taking the Bible in authority seriously? Uh, books or articles that you've written?
1: Well, I'll accept I'll accept the question, though, uh, not with the implication that reading Packer is the best stuff to read. <coughs> I'm, I'm not going to imply that. I, I want you to hear me say that I'm not going to imply that. But, yes, I wrote, as long ago as 1958, a book called Fundamentalism of the Word of God, in which I tried to clarify tangled wires in a good deal of this area. And then I wrote a book titled... Um, God has spoken, which in uh, attempted, at any rate, to put in positive terms what in fundamentalism of the word of God I put in controversial terms. And those are the books, um, the main books anyway. Um, I've also written many articles but I I can't give you an index to the articles off the top of my head Uh, but everything that I want to say is said more or less Um, sometimes less but certainly said uh, in those books so though they're elderly and though the modern fashion is not to read books that are more than 20 years old um you asked for a recommendation, and I recommend <laughs> to you those first two books of mine on scripture. Great, thank you. All right.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Dr. Packer, I just want to be, uh, I'm eager to applaud you on how you dealt right right off the beginning with the word faith, and uh, what a, a mangled word that is today. Mm-hmm. And you've got a little subtitle here. What is faith? A word that slips and slides. And then you go on to explain what faith is, and it's certainly not any kind of a feeling. I think you would, I hope, agree that it's an action. And just in a little bit of a um, reference to what John was asking about what went wrong Mm -hmm. at that scene where people walked out, um, I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis said in the first of the Screwtape Letters and and Through the Mouth of Screwtape, he says, uh, Your man has been accustomed ever since he was a boy to have a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing about together inside his head. He doesn't think of doctrines as primarily true or false, but as academic or practical, outworn or contemporary, conventional or ruthless. Jargon, not argument, is your best ally in keeping him from the church. And it seems to me that, uh, I don't know if I, I think if you put it in philosophical terms uh, the, the law of non-contradiction would be kind of what faith is, mm-hmm. you grab onto something mm-hmm. and you go with it until a better answer mm-hmm. presents itself but faith I would say is holding onto and, and uh, Lewis actually deals with it as, as well he's got a chapter in faith in mere mm-hmm. Christianity and he, he, he talks about it's training yourself how to hold onto a truth in spite of the feelings and emotions that come along, mm-hmm. and for the, for the guys that, it seems to me, for liberals, that, that it's just their willingness or their unwillingness to hang on to truth and their willingness to hang on to a whole bunch of incompatible philosophies at the same time. Mm-hmm. So thank you for your um, fresh words on faith that were needed, I think.
1: Well, thank you for that comment. Yes.
3: What I, I, I,
2: a, a priest from the diocese said, I picked up Dr. Packer's book, Knowing God. I put it
1: down halfway through. Dr. Packer doesn't like anything liberal. And some people like it, St. David of Wales. Oh, bishop Inga must be okay. He's allowed as a bishop. And an, and an English fellow, a bit younger
2: than you, he, he spotted me and he started talking away and it never stopped. The lights were turned out. I heard his wife's voice. His theology was exactly like yours in St. David of Wales.
1: It was hanging in there. Now it's completely closed. Mm. It's a really nice old old beautiful building like whoa. Yeah, it's closed. No
3: nothing's left there. Mm. Thank yeah.
1: Well, thank you, John. I it's beyond me to comment on that. No comment is needed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And that brings us to the end. I'm sorry. Maybe you can speak to me. It's ten twenty, and we probably really should wrap up. Um, so I'm just going to take this moment to thank Dr. Packer so much for being here and sharing. <laughs> Until our next fireside chat. <laughs> <laughs> thank,
1: thank you, everyone, Alexander. Yes. Okay. Here we go.